0: Welcome to the Author Factor Podcast, where we break down exactly how smart business owners and corporate leaders leverage the powerful advantage of being a published book author. I'm your host, Mike Capuzzi, and you're in the right place if you want profitable nonfiction book writing tips. What does it take to transform your communication and relationships at work? Well, you're about to find out from my guest today. Dr. Julie Pham is not just a best-selling author, but is also a beacon of inspiration. She has navigated a path from Saigon boat refugee to a celebrated speaker, award-winning researcher, and founder of her organizational development firm, Curiosity Based. Her latest book, Seven Forms of Respect, a guide to transforming your communication and relationships at work offers practical exercises and thought-provoking questions that revolutionize workplace interactions. Julie, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me on, Mike.
0: Julie, I just very barely touched upon your background and your experience. Can you share a bit more with our listeners about where you've come from and what you're doing today?
1: So background is I am trained as a historian. And then I got my real life MBA by working in my family's Vietnamese language newspaper, and then worked in the tech industry for nine years. And then I started my own company, Curiosity Based, in January 2021, middle of the pandemic. And we help people practice curiosity in the world, starting in the workplace, because that is where we spend most of our waking hours.
0: And I was reading a little bit about your journey. It's uh it's very interesting. By the way, I've actually interviewed another woman who was also a boat refugee uh, from here on the East Coast. So it's a, you know, uh, you know, it's a, something to really understand what you've gone through and what your family's gone through is, is truly amazing. So Julie, let's talk a little bit more about curiosity-based. Before we get into your, your self-publishing journey, I'm, I'm intrigued to learn a little bit more about this. What do you do? How do you serve your clients?
1: Yeah. So curiosity-based, we help people practice curiosity. And I describe curiosity as a practice. Most people think about it as a trait. You either have it or you don't. Be curious. Mm. And we describe it as a practice. And that means that sometimes I want to practice it and sometimes I don't want to practice it. Sometimes it's really hard, (laughs) right? And sometimes like, I don't want to listen to you. I don't want (laughs) to learn from you. And we think of that that practice as boiling down to self-awareness relationship building and clear communication. So even with this book, Seven Forms of Respect, it's really just a tool to practice curiosity. Uh, We work with teams. So I don't do any individual work. It's all with teams, with organizations that actually care about building their culture. So we actually, a lot of our clients are in government and in nonprofits and then in more of those relational industries in the private sector. So uh so real estate, finance, even though I spent nine years in tech, we actually don't have that many tech clients because tech clients tend to be a bit more, uh, sometimes they can be more transactional.
0: So give me an example. This is very interesting to me. Uh, it's something I preach to my daughters often, uh, the importance of being curious and wanting to learn more. It's great that you could say you can turn it, it's okay to turn it off once in a while. What would be an example in business when you're saying curiosity based and fostering curiosity? Can you give me an example of what that might look like in the business world?
1: Feedback. Feedback is one of the things that we actually help our clients with. How do you give feedback with curiosity? So a lot of times people think of feedback as, oh, this is to improve performance and let me tell you what you need to do better. And then, and then there's, okay, well, now I got to need to go do that thing. And yet we think of it as, well, how do you approach this is wanting to understand why the other person did it. And so for example, Hey, someone keeps interrupting other people in meetings. And so what, you know, Hey, you're Mike, you keep interrupting people in meetings. Stop it. <laughs> right. And then it's just, Hey, Mike, in this meeting, I noticed that you keep uh, bring up your ideas before other people ha- uh, finish. Uh, did you realize that you're doing that? And I know that when, I, when you do that, it makes me feel um, overwhelmed and I, I've lost my train of thought. Did you notice, can we talk about this? Um, and, and why do you do it? So approaching that with curiosity, approaching it with a conversation rather than you have to stop. And so that can actually make it easier for people because giving feedback is something that that a lot of people aren't skilled in or it petrifies them. And yet if we say, hey, let's approach that with, with curiosity, then it can, and you're just going to ask a question and you want to understand why they're doing it, then that actually can feel a lot less intimidating to people because it's like, oh yeah, I'm just there to understand. And maybe then they can explain, well... I was the youngest in a seven, I had seven siblings and I was always fighting for space and I didn't realize that I was doing that. And and then there could be a bit of that story sharing and relationship building.
0: Yeah, I love it actually, because it, it is, I mean, just the difference in approach. I can also seeing it, hence the book, really being a skill set, mm-hmm. learning that. Because I think a lot of times it's not your default operating procedure to want to have that curiosity-based approach. Mm-hmm. Um, again, my, my two daughters literally just graduated from college this past weekend. And, you know, I could see, if you haven't written a book for kids or young, <laughs> young adults, I could see this being a great skill set for them because most, you know, most of the times we don't default to really that inquisitive, uh, you know, I want to hear from you kind of approach. So I do appreciate that. Tell me a bit more than Julie, I know this is your second book, and we're going to talk about your self-publishing journey here in a second, but I'm intrigued to know, you know, why did you decide to invest that time, energy, and money to even write this book? What did you see out there? What was your goal of, you know, publishing the book?
1: I have a message that I want to share with the world, and i I, I'm trained as an academic, so I write a lot, right? And it's like, I want to share this message and I enjoy writing. And I felt the, a book is the, is the best way to, to do that. So, yeah. And, and that's been the, that's, and, and cause my favorite medium is, is writing. I do a lot of public speaking yet writing to me is, helps me clarify my thoughts. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Me too. Me too. Mm-hmm. So I know you have an interesting publishing journey. Um, tell us a little bit more about that, please.
1: So this is my second book. My first book was actually a, was on the South Vietnamese military perspective of the Vietnam War. And that was based on my undergraduate thesis. I interviewed 40 South Vietnamese military veterans. And my father, two, so I graduated in two, uh, 2001. My father really wanted me to self-publish. He said, hey, a lot of my friends are self-publishing their books their memoirs. I think you can do this on Amazon. And so I said, okay, Dad, I'll do that. And then he said, I want you, we need to have a party. And so one thing I forgot to mention is that my parents founded the first privately owned Vietnamese language newspaper in the Pacific Northwest. So I grew up with this, uh, uh in a big Vietnamese community. And so I said, I don't want to have a party. It's like, I'll do all the work. We need to have a party though for this book. And so we actually ended up holding it in a former synagogue, now a performing arts center. Mike, 300 people came. 300 people came and 75% of them were Vietnamese. And as I was looking at the audience, I was confronted with my internalized elitism. I realized the reason why I didn't want to have the party was because I thought this isn't a real book. I self-published this book. So this is not a real book. And yet, as I looked out in the audience, I realized this book matters to all these people. And if I hadn't chosen to self-publish, the book never would have come out because it would not have been commercially viable. So it made me think about how many voices do we not hear because, they're, because they think, oh, well, I have no publisher, right? I had a friend rejected by 200 publishers before she finally published her book. And so so that's when going into starting my company, I knew I was going to self-publish. I knew I was going to self-publish, even though everyone was just, you got to get an agent, then you do this and then you do that. And I was like, no, I want to self-publish and I want to get this message out as soon as possible. I don't want to wait a long time. I don't want to go through that whole process of getting an agent and then seeing if I'm good enough for an agent and then seeing if I'm good enough for a publisher, because I know my work is good enough. I know that. And I also know, hey, this is the first edition. Who knows what will happen with the second edition? Yeah, I have a message to get out now. And so I started my business in January, 2021. I had this idea, this framework, and I then started kind of finishing up the research. And then in August, I launched a Indiegogo campaign. So I did a crowdfunding campaign. And this is something I really want to share with your listeners, because some of your listeners might think, well, I can't afford this. How am I going to do this? My first book, by the way, I spent 200 bucks and that was to pay my boyfriend's daughter to design the cover, <laughs> All right, <laughs> And- Really easy. But this one, I knew I wanted to do a full-on business book. And that would take some investment, a cover, get it edited and everything. And so I I studied ex- all of these other uh, Indiegogo campaigns that were self publishing their books and looked at what they did well and what they didn't do well. And so then we decided to do this a bit differently and start the opening pledge at $5. Because I was like, you know what? I want anyone to be able to do it, even if they don't get a book. Mike... We hit our goal in the first 18 hours. And by the end of the campaign, I hit over 200%, 200%. So I raised over $20,000 and, and I just want to share. And I text messaged like 130 people in the days before saying, I'm going to launch my campaign. Will you support opening pledges? $5. I was amazed by all these people. Who came out to support the book, and I didn't even expect I, they would just because I knew that on Indiegogo, you you need to get um, you need to get a hundred pledges in the first forty eight hours so it can tickle the algorithm, and so that's why I made the pledge minimum low because I was like it's just about the number of donors, it's not about the amount. I had no idea I would be able to get that, and in the end, we had over three hundred pledges, and so I really feel that my community gave me my advance. I know that so many people, they just, you know, how hard it is for those who go to traditional publishing to get their advance back because they don't sell enough books. And yet my community can be in my advance. And then in the book, because I have so many examples, so many fictionalized examples, I decided to name them after the people who pledged to my campaign. And so that means that the na- the names of, in my examples are so much more diverse so much more ethnically diverse people said i've never seen my name in a book because i used a lot of non-english names so that's um you know that's the the story of, and so I also, by the way, I have created a YouTube video on this. Uh, the person who helped me with marketing, she actually created details on how to do this. How So I highly suggest if people are just doubting, oh, should I do this? It's going to be really expensive. I definitely think crowdfunding is a way to do that, to mobilize your community, to get that support, to do early marketing on it. Uh, and I'll just say one last thing. When my book, uh, before... Before I launched my the release, the Kindle version, I decided to write this letter. I called it Dear Book. And it was as I don't have kids. And yet I wrote this as if I was writing to my child. And it was like, Dear book, I, you're about to get released in the world. And I don't know what people are going to think about you. And yet I'm proud of you. I'm really proud of you. And over 300 people, it took a village to bring you into this world. And you've got all these supporters. So I just and and I really want to speak to creators of all types. Right? Cause we all have that. Like I'm gonna create something and I have to be proud of the journey. I have to be whatever it is, I've got to be proud of that versus just thinking, oh, it's how many sales I get or or how many likes I get. No, it's just actually be proud of the journey.
0: Well, Julie, as you could see, I was chomping at the bit to jump in, but I didn't want to interrupt because you just shared a ton of amazing wisdom. I hope I can remember. I was taking notes here to kind of prompt myself. Uh, an insight. So, let me let's start for a second if we could dive a little deeper. I think mm-hmm. what you shared about the I'm just going to say the head trash of not being a, pub, a, a real book mm-hmm. author. I have it. I have mm-hmm. published self-published 20 books now. Mm-hmm. 20th book is coming out very soon here, self-published book. For l- a long time, I would always caveat the way I would speak about my books. But I know for a fact, because of the work that we've done, the people we've touched, that even my little self-published books have touched thousands of lives. And, you know, I'm in the business, you know, the owner space, business owner space, marketing space. So I, I know I've helped folks. And you're right. If you allow that thought process to prevent you from ever, you know, really sharing your content, you know, you're, you're doing yourself a big in service. You're doing the world, you know, uh, a disservice by not doing that. And the way you shared it about just that, you know, thinking, you know, overthinking, self-published versus published, which these days is obviously, I think, has is, is gotten a lot more even. It's a lot more respected that the self-published route. Now I just choose it. It's like by default. Like you said, I've had print friends that have published books, gone through a traditional publisher. It's a two-year journey. Mm-hmm. You're changing things that you don't want to have changed, et cetera, et cetera. So I love what you shared there. Now, if we could, let's just go to your the the crowdfunding idea because nobody that I recall in over 200 episodes of this podcast has done what you've done. So I, I definitely want to share the link to the YouTube video in the show notes. For my own just questions uh, mm-hmm. about that. Was it because you had a big following? I mean, what was the impetus? Was it your following? <laughs> no, that supported? no. Was it the, the, the focus of the book? Like, what were some of the key I, I just reached out to my
1: network. I reach, I don't have a huge following. I have uh, I have under 5,000 people on LinkedIn. And I think maybe at the time I had 3,000. And a lot of it actually was on Facebook. So this is my personal network. And I, I do... I, I am a really good relationship builder and I maintain relationships with people. And I think if you're going to start a business, you better have a network and you better ask for help. So this is ask for help. I think that's the big thing because people don't realize that others want to help because oftentimes they're not brave enough to be entrepreneurs and yet they want to support them. And yet you have to make the ask. You have to make the ask, even of those acquaintances, will you pledge $5? So I think it's the... If people actually write down the list, oh, I actually do know people. Am I going to be vulnerable enough to ask? That's the big question. Because oftentimes people say, yeah, I'll give you five bucks. I'll help tickle the algorithm. So, uh, and and knowing that... Um, believing you're good enough. And Mike, I'll just say, the analogy, I compare self-publishing to online dating. It used to be, there used to be a huge <laughs> stigma, right? Like, no, we met uh, through a friend, <laughs> right? <laughs> and and even, even I hired a contractor to help put together a lot of elements. He's like, okay, we'll say that we publish it. I'm like, but I'm fine and proud of the fact that I self-published. I don't need to hide that. Yeah. I don't need to, oh, I published through this some vanity press. Yeah, right. You know, so I think I hope that that stigma will go the way that online dating. Oh, I think it
0: is. It's funny. That's again, that's a great analogy because I think that's probably the de facto standard for most young people these days Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, dating. But um, there's so much autonomy and speed and control. But I don't want to go too far from your book. But yeah, it's definitely. you know, the way to go for most people. There is definitely a time, and maybe in your future too, maybe in the future. We've had guests on the show who've done the self-published route, and then someone, you know, a a traditional publisher has read the book, found the book, and realized, hey, this, you know, this author has the potential to be a traditionally published author. So who knows, that might be still in your future. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about how you're using the book, Julie, um, Mm -hmm. in your business. So can you share... uh, so let's talk about when the book was first published, because it was just, what, 2022, if I recall? Yep, mm-hmm.
1: May 2022.
0: What did you do after it was available? Did you do anything special to get the word out there? Um...
1: So I <laughs> I tried to, and here's the mistake I, about book authoring, <laughs> is I, I tried to go on a book tour. Right. I had this event at the Seattle Public Library. I, I scheduled different book signings. And I will say that that is something that I want to warn people, I guess, <laughs> because that was such a it's so demoralizing. It was so demoralizing um, to sit there and actually, oh, please, will you sign my book? And I actually, Mike, the only the one viral video I ever got was I actually made this short reel making fun of myself oh. <laughs> of how hard it is. To be a uh, to be a self published author, so I would just say that have if you're going to go and do book signings, be very realistic about that. So that's that's. I'll start with the mistake um, because emotionally it
0: was really hard. Was that because of the p- number of people that showed up, Julie? Yeah, because yeah.
1: it's the number of people who show up. It's like I go. I'm at Barnes and Noble as a self published author. I'm selling on consignment. I'm hoping enough people will buy it so that then Barnes and Noble will say they'll carry it. Oh no, at the end, no, we're not going to carry it, and and people just coming by really to get the candy from my candy jar, <laughs> not really wanting to talk to me or to get sign my book uh, for me to. So I just, I think that it took a lot of energy, a lot of emotional energy, and it was really demoralizing. So that's something for people. And just to have my expectations set, have your expectations set if you are going to go out and try to promote in person. I think the thing that I did do that worked well was just offer Q&As about the book. And I would give people here a set of five questions, especially virtual. And usually it's just like, no, it's going to be virtual. Did that for a lot of rotaries and just other book clubs and community groups as a way to get the, uh, the word out. And I also created something that I would recommend is to have a short video about the book that you can also use in other places. So I actually have a, a two minute video where I act out the different seven forms of respect. And it's kind of, uh, one woman show. And it's, it's funny. And I actually use it in my workshops and I'll send it to people like, Hey, this is what it is because a lot of times people don't want to read and yet they watch the video. And that's been, that's been really helpful in terms of promoting the book. And I think word of mouth, giving people some tools to promote it. When the book came out, um, people were taking pictures of themselves with the book too, and posting that on social media. So if you can, if you make it easy for people to help promote you, They will.
0: Yeah, I can't say I've ever um, done an in-person book signing event, only because I probably would think that way. (laughs) Like, oh, I've, I've been to the Barnes and Noble and I've seen the author in the corner, you know, and it's like people are just walking by. Though we, I've had a guest. He was actually a client of ours too, a lawyer in Texas, and he had a huge. He only did one though, so it wasn't multiple, but he had a huge book signing event. But what he did was he partnered with this really cool restaurant in his neighborhood mm-hmm. who are clients of his. So it was more of a party. You know, you could come and eat and drink. And oh by the way, there's a book signing. And he did piggyback in a like a little seminar on the books topic too. So uh, so Julie, second book, multi book author, my guess is there's probably more in your future. I'd love you to hear from you, and uh, all the experience that you've you've had over the last, you know, year or two with with specific to you know, the book author journey and since it's been published, what the impact has been on either you or the impact even with your audience, Mm -hmm. um, what it's meant to you or them.
1: Yes, it's, uh, it's so gratifying to meet someone who I've never met. She's like, oh, your book meant this to me. Because with Seven Forms of Respect, I always describe it as it's more like five love languages, not like seven habits of highly effective people, right? So it's not about... It's not about doing all seven forms. It's actually about trying to figure out which of the forms of respect are important to you. And so I dream that one day people will talk about their forms of respect the way that they talk about their love language. What's your form of respect, Mike? These are mine. And this is what it is in this setting. And because the book, I mean, one of the big criticisms of the book is that it's so, it's being so a, a adaptive in our communications and seeing, oh, the way that I see. We can agree on how we feel about respect, and yet we might not dis- we might disagree on how it looks. We can agree on what it looks feels like, but disagree on what it looks like. And that is usually a huge aha for people. Oh, that's why I'm having this issue at work. And so I think of the book as it's really for those who want to get better at communication, who want to get better at relationship building, who want to practice curiosity, who want to learn from their coworkers, and it's not for people who it's not really for toxic workplaces i like to say like with five love languages it's not going to fix an abusive relationship five, seven forms of respect is not going to fix a toxic workplace and so in terms of the positive impact has been giving has been about giving me credibility even when we and when we do workshops it's nice to actually give our clients and here's the book like, oh here's the book and and i also while I use it to drive business, I also create tons of free content too. Because I just want it to help people. And it's okay if they never if they don't buy my book and they just watch my free content or someone or someone watched my free content and shared it with them because for years I didn't read five love languages. And yet it was really helping me.
0: Well, Julie, congratulations. And uh, you know, I think again, I can see I, with the energy you bring, uh, I'm sure there's a lot more you're going to be doing in the future, as far as even future books, is my guess. But um, how can our l- listeners learn more about you, Julie? Where's the best place to get your book?
1: I am so best place to get my book is on Amazon. Uh, you can also I publish on Ingram Spark, so you can get it through uh, Barnes and Nobles and your independent bookstore if that's what you prefer. Uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn, so that's the best place to follow me on social media. And you can follow find Julie Fam. A PhD, or you can go on curiosity-based. My website is curiosity-based and I have a website for my book called Forms of Respect. And we offer lots of freebies. (laughs) So there is a free quiz. uh, There is a free mini book. And oh, we're very active, very active on YouTube as well. So lots of videos. And actually, instead of doing an audio book, what I decided to do was to read aloud all the scenarios in the book. And so you can actually get all of that on YouTube curiosity-based.
0: Very good. Well, Julie, we'll share those links. Uh, Again, I appreciate your patience uh, for being on the show, and I appreciate all that you shared. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much, Mike.
0: Well, that wraps up another episode of the Author Factor podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on Apple iTunes. Subscribe, tell a friend, and go grab the notes and extras at theauthorfactor.com. And to learn more about my unique short book publishing services, please check out bitesizebooks.com. See you next time.